for final four week four teams remain of the 68 and only one one seed remains in the four how about that no Gonzaga no Duke no North Carolina also no Kansas no Villanova no Kentucky no Michigan Michigan State the only of the four teams who's actually been to a final four in the last 35 years I'm going to be in Minneapolis this weekend at U.S. Bank Stadium looking forward to that and also I am working through the end of a cold here so I apologize that that's coming through at all hopefully it's not I mentioned last week that the previous week's episode so that was the one that dropped the first week of March Madness March 18th that was led by Colgate head coach Matt Langle that had the most total listens and downloads of any high motor podcast episode ever and then now this past week so this past week i had jeff goodman and jesse newell on the show that had the most downloads of any episodes ever so thanks again to you all for checking out the show i love doing it and you're gonna love today's episode final four week and i'm gonna have dan wolken of usa today on in a minute we're gonna talk some texas tech chris beer duke Auburn, a lot of stuff for him, and then after he hops off, there's one thing that I want to address regarding the end of regulation in that epic, classic Purdue-Virginia game, and then we obviously know Virginia, Michigan State, Auburn, Texas Tech are heading to the Final Four this year, and this is way jumping the gun, but I do not care. Fans are always looking ahead when you are watching that Final Four game, win or lose, fans are going to want to know, are you coming back next year? So I'm going to do a, are they going to be here next year? That is, who do these teams lose? Who comes back? Who are they adding? Which of those teams have the best shot to make it back-to-back Final Four appearances? That'll be after Dan Wolken hops off. All right, let's fire up the High Motor Podcast. Dan Wolken, USA Today, joining the show today. Hey, Dan, I really appreciate you chatting. I want to start with Texas Tech here. Obviously, the program's uh, first Final Four appearance ever entering last year. They only had the one Elite Eight and now back-to-back. And we can all agree that Chris Beard has done a pretty remarkable job down there in Lubbock in three seasons. Do you think that if Beard sticks around, have we, I guess, have you seen enough to believe that this is just the new norm for Texas Tech basketball? I don't think you can ever say going to a Final Four is a new normal in a program that's not a blue blood. Texas Tech, I think before Chris Beard showed up, you would have had to really stretch your imagination to ever see them competing at this level. But I think Beard has shown enough that regardless of whatever program he's at, he will have his team competing at the top of whatever league they're in, which means that you're going to have opportunities to go deep in the tournament. From there, there's a lot of luck and matchups, and the ball's got to bounce your way. And Texas Tech certainly had some things late in that game where if you played them ten times 
they may not win but three, four, or five, uh, but they were able to beat Gonzaga when it mattered, and now they're in the Final Four. Uh, you have to always cherish that and not count on having an opportunity to go back because it's really hard to do, but uh, Beard's a terrific coach, and he's going to be a factor on the national scene for a long time. And you say whatever program he's at. I had Jeff Goodman on the show last week, and he talked about he, he doesn't know if Beard will stay or go, but he said if he's these other programs, if he was um, in Alabama, Arkansas, A&M, UCLA, that he would throw the kitchen sink at Beard, make him some uh, massive offer, and just see if, if he would potentially leave. Uh, do you have a prediction there? Do you think Chris Beard will stay at Texas Tech? Well, I think he'll – look, I don't think in five years necessarily he'll be the head coach at Texas Tech because – there will be opportunities that come up that will just be too good to pass up. You know, this year you've got some openings where I think you could envision an Arkansas throwing a lot of money at him. You know, if Shaka Smart were to lead Texas, which is certainly not uh, impossible, I could see he's a Texas alum. I think that makes a lot of sense. I could see them throwing a lot of money at him. You know, UCLA, maybe. Would he fit in, in Los Angeles in UCLA's program with the kind of kids he's recruited and uh, it's a little bit different out, out there in, in L.A. I, I don't know if that's the most natural fit, but, I, I look, I think he's a great coach who can win at a lot of places. And if I had an opening, I certainly would, would offer him a lot of money uh, if I had a chance to do that. But uh, will he go this year? Is being in the Final Four something that would complicate that? I, I can't answer all those questions right now, but, but he's certainly terrific. So let's keep it kind of in this conversation for a minute and let's swap in Auburn. Obviously, their first Final Four appearance, too. They only had the one in lead eight and four all-time Sweet 16s before this season. And you said with a program like Texas Tech getting to the Final Four, you don't necessarily think that's a new normal, Because, but if you are at the, you know, the top of your league in a league like the Big 12, you are going to be in a position to, to make those runs. Do you think the same is the case for Auburn under Bruce Pearl? Do you think that, and I, I'm not going to say the new norm this time, but do you think this is... Uh, Bruce Pearl has this program in a position where they can be at the top of the SEC every single season. Well, look, the SEC is, is super tough, and uh, there's a lot of programs there that are trying to get from the middle to the top, and they're paying coaches big money. And, and there's going to be some cyclical uh, moves. It, Auburn's got some really experienced guards, and that's been kind of the engine of their team. Bruce Pearl's been able to recruit some pretty good players down there, but really the engine of their team is, is uh, uh, Brown and, and Harper, and, and those guys have been around, they've been experienced, and I think that ha- has to factor into it, that, that they've been building toward this with this particular group, and then you know, and then he'll rebuild and, and have a new group that, that comes in, and he'll try to build, build it up from there. Um, you know, I, I, if you were to say, is this the only time that Bruce Pearl will go to the Final Four at Auburn? I'd probably say yes, because it's hard to do, but uh, if he's able to, to re- rebuild and reload that roster, do they end up making another one? Sure. On Sunday night, you tweeted out some thoughts on uh, Calipari, Coach K, and regarding Coach K, you said, and I'm quoting here, he's been mediocre at overall at <clears throat> excuse me roster construction since 2015, and it has shown up in the tournament in various ways, and obviously 2015 was their last Final Four appearance. They only have two Final Fours in the last 15 years. Is there anything that you can really attribute that poor roster construction to? Do you see any cause behind it um, You know that could be remedied as Coach K now enters year 40 as head coach? I think if you're constructing a program where you're relying heavily on, on players who are coming in for one year, what you would want ideally 
is to have a solid foundation of, of role guys who are more experienced upperclassmen who can make up for some of the weaknesses that, that you might have uh, in, in other areas. And I think what we've seen with Duke, you know, the, the last couple years they've been really bad defensively. And it, it's hard to, to get freshmen into a defensive system, understand what they're supposed to do in such a short amount of time. Uh, this team bought into that more and, and I thought was much better defensively than some of Kay's previous teams. But really, if Zion Williamson is your centerpiece, and I think we'll see this in the NBA, the thought is you're going to want to just surround him with as much shooting as possible. That the way to maximize what Zion Williamson is is to put people around him who can really shoot the basketball. Now, Duke was not able to do that, and maybe some of that is just the guys didn't live up to expectations. I mean, Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, you would think, would have shot better coming uh, than uh, what they did coming into college, and then they just didn't get it done. Uh, that was a poor roster construction around Zion. It's not just when you're talking about building a team, we'll go get you know the three best players or you know, four of the top ten. It, that's not how basketball works. You, you want to have complementing skill sets. Duke had the best player, but it was never a great team in the sense that, that everyone sort of fit into to a role the way you'd want them to. Do you think it would have, and I'm, I'm not at all suggesting that Duke would have been better without Zion, but do you think if, if Zion didn't go to Duke like a lot of people thought he wasn't going to, do you think that that team would have been dramatically different, at least in terms of wins and losses, if he wasn't there? Do you think that the construction of the roster would have been a lot different? I think they probably would have lost more games. <laughs> I think when you look at that team, um, I mean, they only lost uh, a couple times this year when they were fully healthy. One was to, to Gonzaga and then to Michigan State, and they were both really close. <laughs> Could have gone either way. I mean, it's not like it's not like Duke was a disaster uh, this season. They lost a couple games when Zion was out, and I think what you saw, that a team built around R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish didn't look as good as the team with Zion. On Sunday night, Pat Forty noted that it's possible that zero top 100 players from the 2018 class are going to see any minutes in the Final Four, and it's going to be the fourth straight year in which experienced teams play for the title, and obviously an experienced team would ultimately cut down the net, and that was a run that started after that 2015 Duke team that we mentioned, and, and that's a big number. That's not just like saying a top 10 guy isn't going to be playing, or even a top 25 guy isn't going to be playing in the Final Four. It's top 100, and and yeah, it's probably almost definitely going to be an outlier when we look back 10, 12, 15 years down the road, but but still, right now, what's your reaction when you see something like that? Do you do you think that absence of, of top freshman recruits means anything or affects anything in college basketball? Well, I think the Final Four would have more juice, uh, would have more attention if uh, you had a Zion Williamson and the Duke team in there, or if you had Kentucky in there, because those are programs that people are drawn to watch, and certainly the Zion phenomenon kind of buoyed all of college basketball this year, but there's no doubt that the trend in the sport, older teams have had an easier time winning championships, that experience does matter. Like I said before, ideally you'd want to have one or two one-and-done players that are surrounded by veterans who can fill a lot of different roles and, and who in crunch time you can really rely on. But that's not the way Duke and Kentucky have, have always been built. And some of that is just the fact you end up just losing guys and you got to kind of start over every year. It's a tough way to build a championship team. 
Before you go, I want to ask you, so we're th- through the first four rounds of the tournament, what has surprised you the most about this year's tournament, and what would surprise you in Minneapolis this weekend? I think the only thing that surprised me is that we only have one number one seed, and this is a year where it looked like going into the tournament that you had some teams that were kind of on, on a different plane than everybody else. You know, I, I certainly would have thought you would have two number one seeds at least in the final four, and then we end up only having Virginia. So that that is a a surprise. Um, as far as the final four, I mean, you could. This is a, a certainly a year you can make a case where all four teams win. I think Auburn's got the toughest job just because they're playing Virginia at first, and um, I don't think that's a particularly tough matchup for Virginia physically. You also don't have Okiki, so. You know, Virginia's playing against a, a team that, that is shorthanded. And, of course, they, they were still able to beat Kentucky, but I, I just think that plays in the Virginia's favor. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Texas Tech won the whole thing just because they are the number one defensive team in the country. But overall, just in terms of offense, defense, balance, all the metrics say that it should be Virginia, Michigan Tech. I, I'm sorry, Virginia and, and Michigan State and Virginia winning the whole thing. But, uh Certainly, you know, this has been an unpredictable tournament in some ways. All right, Dan, I'll let you go here. Thanks uh, a ton for the time. Uh, Safe travels this week, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk about lane violations. How about that? Didn't think you'd get lane violations today on the High Motor Podcast. That is what I want to address regarding the end of regulation in that Virginia-Purdue game. So Virginia down by two, Ty Jerome at the line, misses the free throw intentionally. Virginia gets the tap out and ultimately ties that game on that wild five second sequence. And after the game, and I had never thought of this before, it had never crossed my mind. And when you think about it, you kind of wonder why it had never crossed my mind. I'm not sure if it had ever crossed anybody else's mind, but I was, I was surprised that I had never thought about this before. Doug Gottlieb tweeted, uh, and a quote here, Purdue should have violated. Loophole in the rule where you can make the opponent make the free throw. So he's obviously saying that Purdue should have had a lane violation, force Ty Jerome to actually make the free throw, go down by one with five, I think it was 5.7 seconds left, somewhere in there. And some responses to that were, can't you get a technical foul for that? And when I started looking at it, I thought, yeah, maybe. Does that foul, fall under the player delays section of the rule book. It's got to be, right? There's got to be something in there. And it's not actually in the rule book anywhere. I spent a lot of time scanning the book, you know, the free throw sections, the technicals, the, the player delays section, like I said, all of that. And there's nothing that specifically says if you commit repeated lane violations that appear to be intentional, and in this case it would clearly be intentional, there's nothing in there that says if you commit repeated lane violations, it's a technical foul. And apparently this has happened before. When I was digging around, I found a couple examples. Uh, one was from this Marist game back in 2005. And when I reached out to the NCAA for a clarification, never got a call back from them. Uh, I guess I'm not that high on their priority list during a very busy week. But it seems like the consensus is that you get a warning after the second one. If it's very clearly intentional, you're going to get a warning after the second one. And then comes the technical, even though it's not even stated in the rules. It seems like, based upon reports and past stories, that the refs have the authority to give a T there. But I don't know where that falls under their authority, if that falls under that player delay section or, or, or where. 
but it seems like they do have the authority to do that. So Gottlieb would have been wrong on that. Maybe he didn't know the rule. Maybe he didn't know that they closed the loophole, whatever. But he got my mind wandering and searching, and it seems like it would not have worked in that case. It seems like if Purdue wanted to cause an intentional lane violation, make Ty Jerome make the free throw, down by one, 5.7 seconds left, maybe a better chance to win. You can argue that all day. You can argue how that would have affected the game if they would have been down by one, 70-69 with 5.7 seconds left. Would they have not tied it? I have no idea. But it seems like it wouldn't have worked, and it could have backfired dramatically. Imagine if they didn't know that rule, and they didn't know that there wasn't a loophole there. Think of how much heat they would have taken for that and had it backfire. So that's my public service to you all this week. Uh, Do not commit repeated lane violations. Are they going to be back next year? Will our Final Four teams this year be back? And yes, it's not a simple question. It's honestly kind of a stupid question. The tournament is so much about matchups. You know, like I've talked a lot about before, when you're making your your Final Four picks, or somebody will come to me in January or February, oh, who do you got in the Final Four? I don't know. When does the bracket come out? What do the matchups look like? So yeah, it is kind of a stupid question. It's kind of like what Dan said before. There's some luck involved with that. It's so matchup-based. But the question is, do you think that these teams have enough coming back to suggest that they can be in a similar position to make a run next year? It's all about having the pieces to actually make that run. Who knows once the matchups come out? Starting with Virginia, yes, that's a pretty simple one. Tony Bennett's back. That really all that matters. But on top of that, they have Kyle Guy, Jr., coming back. Ty Jerome, Jr., Diakate, Jr., Braxton Key, Jr. Clark is only a freshman. They're going to add a couple of four-star guys. Yes, DeAndre Hunter seems like he's all but gone for a lottery pick. Jack Salt, he's gone, exhaust eligibility. But that's it. Again, Kyle Guy coming back, Ty Jerome coming back, Diakate coming back. Braxton Key coming back. Those are their four juniors. They'll be seniors next year. So after the next year, it could be an interesting conversation for Virginia. Clark, again, freshman this year, he's coming back. And then add a couple of nice recruits. Again, they have Tony Bennett. So yes, Virginia, they're going to be back with a very similar team next year. There is nothing to suggest based upon the last five or six years of Tony Bennett that Virginia will not be aiming for a number one seed again next season. Texas Tech, it's all about Chris Beard here. It's all about will will Kirby Hokut, the Texas Tech athletic director, will Kirby Hokut give him that four to five million dollar offer? He's making a little over three right now. Is he going to put him in that top ten, top eight? I don't think he gets to the top five of salaries in college basketball, but will Hokut give him that four to five million dollar offer? I think he will. I think he has to. And if he is back, they're going to lose a ton again, just like they did last year. Uh, Jarrett Culver should be gone. Top ten pick Mac Mo- Matt Mooney. He's been absolutely brilliant transferring from uh, South Dakota. Mooney, he's gone. Uh, Tariq Owens is gone. He's their six foot ten big man. Tariq Owens gone. Francis is also gone, as is Odiasi. The good news here, Moretti should be back. Kyler Edwards should be back. But they're going to need to replace two guys in Culver and Mooney who average about, yeah, about 30 combined points per game. Replace a long, uh, long time big, long big man in Owens. Uh, they have a huge class coming in, uh, volume-wise. Huge class, volume-wise. Six guys coming in right now. Uh, a couple top 100 players. Uh, the Ramsey kid from Duncanville, Texas. He's the big one. He's a top 30 player, a two guard. He's in the play. He's in the score immediately. You know, Chris Beard. He'll have the benefit of the doubt even more coming this offseason into next year. Um, and they definitely will not be picked to to finish in the bottom of the Big 12 again. But still, some really interesting transitions coming for Texas Tech. 
Auburn, the big one there is Bryce Brown. He is gone. Okiki, he was a fringe first-round prospect, it seems like, from NBA guys. On most big boards, he's kind of in that mid to late 20 to 30 range. So he was a fringe first-rounder. But that changed everything with the torn ACL. That's completely in question, obviously, um, as would his return to the rotation next year. So he's a total toss-up. Malik Dunbar, he's gone. Horace Spencer, he's gone. That's going to hurt their depth a little bit with Spencer being gone. Um, However, Jared Harper will be back. So will Samir Doughty, uh, my long-lost, unrelated relative there, Samir Doughty. Austin Wiley is an interesting one. He's gotten some attention, big guy. I think he's like 6'10", 6'11". He's gotten some attention from draft folks, but you'd think he'd be back for his senior year. Um, And then they have Isaac Okoro. He's a top 20 freshman coming in, 6'5", small forward, can really score. So they're going to need to find some scoring. They're going to need to find some rebounding. We've seen that Auburn can live out on the perimeter, but I still think they need to find a little bit more rebounding, maybe some more size there. We'll see if they go after any grad transfers at all. We'll see if Pearl's approach changes at all for next season with that loss of Bryce Brown. Lastly, Michigan State. They're losing, finally they're losing Matt McQuaid. It feels like this guy has been around for a decade. Matt McQuaid is graduate. His eligibility is done. Kenny Goins is also done, but that should be it. That's the great news for Michigan State. It's going to hurt losing McQuaid, especially Kenny Goins giving you that versatility out there on the perimeter with a little bit of size, but that's about it. Winston should be back. Nick Ward should be back. Tillman should be back. Aaron Henry should be back. Lankford should be healthy. Kyle Aaron's back and hopefully healthy. Hopefully they get those guys back healthy. So of those final four teams, Michigan State and Virginia have the, the most key pieces back. I mean, both are going to lose key guys, like we said. DeAndre Hunter's gone. Jack Salt, gone. McQuaid, Goins, gone. But both return plenty of talent to chase one seeds next year. And Texas Tech, if Chris Beard stays in Lubbock, I mean, he proved this year he can reload with a lot of players that were previously flying under the radar. I mean, he's kind of proven what what I kind of attribute to what Bo Ryan did back when he was reloading teams. And yes, Bo Ryan only had a couple of those really, really top-tier elite teams, but he was reloading with these guys that everyone didn't really know about, these former three-star guys, some transfers. And yes, Matt Mooney got a lot of attention coming in as a transfer, But a lot of these guys still weren't players that everyone had their radars on as all Big 12 caliber players. So Chris Beater has done it. He proved it last year that he can reload. I think they could be chasing another top three seed again. They should be able to compete in the Big 12 again with how much transition Kansas is going through, with how much transition K-State is going through. I mean, both of those teams are losing huge, huge key pieces. And yes, with Kansas, for example, Dotson's coming back, Abaje's coming back, uh, David McCormick will be back. They have a lot of pieces in question with Azubuke, D'Souza, uh, Grimes. There's been some speculation that he could be gone too. So the Big 12 should be there for the taking. Yes, West Virginia will be better. Texas, per usual, have just a ton of talent. We'll see if they underwhelm again. But Texas Tech should be chasing another top seed again next season. Uh, Auburn could be in the same boat. They could be chasing a top three to five seed again next season with Harper and Dowdy coming back. Okay, before we wrap it up here, my final four picks. I picked Virginia all season to win the title. The entire damn season I was picking Virginia, and then last weekend, last weekend for whatever reason, I hopped off, and I said if Tennessee beats Purdue in the Sweet 16, I said the Vols would beat Virginia. I was on Virginia all season and then just bailed. And even though that matchup didn't technically happen, 
So I don't know if I'm technically wrong there. I still bail on Virginia. I'm going to hop back on. I'm going to pick Virginia over Auburn. I just don't know, and Dan touched on this a little bit, I don't know if banged-up Auburn can handle inside. Yes, they won the the Kentucky game. In in a way, yes, it proves that they can beat a team like that, and I'm not going to compare Virginia and Kentucky here, completely different teams. Virginia is a much better defensive team. But it also, I wonder how long they can play with fire in terms of can a banged-up Auburn handle Virginia inside. They don't necessarily have to, I mean, that, that's been made very clear. They can win games on the perimeter. Bruce Pearl has built this team that they don't need to rely on big guys inside. It would be nice if there was some help inside. I just don't know if there's enough juice left. So I'm picking Virginia over Auburn, and then I'm picking Michigan State over Texas Tech, taking the favorites there, and then taking Virginia to win it all. I'm hopping back on my Virginia, tra- Virginia train after that brief blown stop. Okay, let's wrap it here on the High Motor Podcast. A little bit shorter episode today. Uh, again, I'll be in Minneapolis this weekend for the Final Four. Uh, might have a special episode or two, depending on logistics, content, availability, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but hopefully something special. Hopefully we can get some good quotes. Hopefully we can um, you know, get some predictions from writers, get some interviews, things like that. In the meantime, check out past episodes of High Motor on iTunes, on Spreaker, Stitcher, any podcast app. Download it on there. And then on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. Hey, thanks again to Dan for joining today's show. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And again, thanks for making last week's episode the most downloaded episode in High Motor history. Really appreciate all of you. And now, per usual, please allow Cree Bratton to take you into the rest of your week and to take you into Final Four weekend. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you met. How you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between